I should be switched over. All right, well, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 6. We did the first seven verses, and uh, that was half of the first half of what, um, what we were, are going to look at in chapter 6. So Romans chapter 6, and uh, we're, we're just going to look at um, verse 8 down to verse number 14 tonight. I'm not going to go any further than that. Uh, we will uh, seek to, to look at, and uh, maybe, uh, my, my hope would be maybe next Wednesday we'll be able to wrap up uh, verse 15 through verse number 23. We'll do the whole entire second half of the chapter uh, in one swipe. But uh, there, there's enough to cover just in verse 8 to verse number 14, uh, much like it was last Wednesday night. And, uh, and since we talked about getting out of here, you know, long before, I don't know what that was that came through, but it wasn't, it wasn't on the radar when I looked a few moments ago. So it had to just, it, it was one of those stray ones that popped up, but there's more coming behind it. And so we'll make sure everybody gets home in a timely manner uh, this evening. But uh, looking at uh, Romans chapter 6, we, we'd already said that the main theme of this chapter is being made free to serve God. And uh, the key verses are 17 and 18. Um, but God, be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And uh, we will look more in detail concerning that section of the verse, verses in this chapter, um, Lord willing, next Wednesday. But it really is the culmination of the understanding of there are, there are two ways, there are two, uh, you might say, two masters presented uh, in, in this chapter of Romans. Uh, one is sin and the other uh, is, is God or the Savior and, and righteousness per se. But um, the, the idea is you got two masters, and there's also uh, the mention of uh, two, two, different, um, two different backgrounds, two different lives, two different men within you, or women, you might put it that way. Um, there is the old you, and there is the new you. Uh, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, um, there is an old that should be replaced by the new. Uh, the new me is not anything I've done for myself, but that which Christ has done through salvation and continues to do as he works in me to make me, as the song says, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. He's not still working on me to, uh, to give me salvation full and free. No, he's, ma- he's working on me. Salvation's settled, but he's working on me because he is shaping and molding that which used to be a, a, a pretty ugly lump of clay. And more than likely, uh, as it goes, some people say, well, there hadn't been much improvement, preacher. Um, but here's the thing. Spiritually speaking, when we, when we get saved, we start off with the, the potter being able to put his hands upon the clay. Because the clay has now chosen to be in the potter's hands. And now he, he's our creator, 
And uh, he is the one that authors life, and there is none other that can give it. But just because we've been given life doesn't mean that we have chosen him to be our master. That is what the second birth is about. There is physical life given by Almighty God, the creator of all things. But then there comes, and by by, by the way, when, when physical life is given to you and I, we didn't get a choice. Right? I mean, it's not like your parents could look into the future and say, by the way, did you want to be born? If not, we'll just make sure this doesn't happen. No, you didn't get a choice. You were born in. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose the parents that you were going to be born to. You didn't choose the environment you were going to be in uh, and the things that you were going to face. You, you, you are a product of something you had no choice to be in. You were born. God authored it. God gave life. But the second birth is something that every individual has the ability to make a choice in. My first physical birth was not by choice. I was just the product of somebody else's decisions and God's ultimate decision to allow it. My second birth, though, is is when I choose to turn from the old man and the old servant of sin And I choose to turn to Christ, receive forgiveness, and by by his grace, the work he does in me to make me more like Christ, forgiven for all eternity, a continual presence and work in me to, to make me more than I can be in and of myself, to make me a new creature in Christ. But that all starts with the choice that I make. I choose... Christ. I choose salvation. I choose God's plan over the old man and the old way of being a servant to sin. So there's two masters presented here, and there's a choice that must be made. But once the the choice is made, Paul is trying to get across and tell the, the child of God, hey, you were once enslaved to the master called sin. But because of Christ, you're no longer enslaved to sin, but you have been set free from the bondage and, and, and the slavery, that the chains that held you captive to this master have been broken so that you can serve one who is far better than the one you were bound to in the old man. And so Paul is not saying, hey, guess what? Your freedom in Christ makes you free to do whatever you want. No, he's very clearly saying your freedom has all to do with two different masters. Your freedom through salvation, your, if you want to put it this way, Christian liberty through salvation is liberty from sin, freedom from sin to serve God in righteousness. I was a slave. Now I'm a free chosen servant. And that's what he's dealing with. And we already looked at um, verse 1 through verse number 7 here, uh, where Paul deals with the abuse of grace, the idea, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We're dead to it. It's, it's past. It's no long, it has no hold on us anymore. It shouldn't. So how can we continue? And we're not talking about, we're not talking about man's tendency in the flesh to displease God. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, if we're, if we're going to look, and I'm, I'm trying not to chase a rabbit on this, but it, it is important because it keeps coming up over and over and over again in conversation after conversation. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I just get questions thrown at me from like even faith <laughs> running into somebody. Um, but here's the thing. If we're going to look at this and say, well, these things are talking about being dead to sin. We can't live any longer therein. So if someone is sinning in their life, they can't be saved. Well, I'm doomed. I mean, I, <laughs> I get mad at one thing, I lose my temper, I have a bad thought. Nobody else saw it but God, but you know what? It was sin before God, so therefore I'm doomed. Tell me one day when you went through the day without having one angry thought, one wrong thought, uh, one, one sarcastic comment go through your head that you wanted to say so bad tell me one day when your mind was completely pure without one issue all day long you say well i didn't say it i didn't know but you thought it and the bible talks about every idle thought we'll give account for and so therefore if we're going to go so far as to say, well, this is dealing with the fact that if you're free, then you cannot, a true child of God cannot sin. And if you do, you can't be a child of God. You must get it right. You must get saved. Well, here's the thing. If you think that you can go and not, and, and there's no issue with the flesh, and there's no issue with having to deal with the flesh, then pray tell, why did Paul and why did other, the other writers that God used in pinning, pinning his his uh, uh, the books that we see here in the Word of God, why is it that he pinned these things down? Why did they say, put on the whole armor of God? Why do I need the whole armor of God? I can't sin. Right? I'm dead to it. It's over with. I've been saved. I've been freed. I can't sin. And if I did, I couldn't be saved. Well, if that's the condition, and if that's the way we're going to go, then you might as well take out another third of the Bible and just throw it away because you would not need all those things of warning concerning of dealing with the, the spirit against the flesh and the fight and struggle there is in this life. If it wasn't for the fact that the child of God has the ability, though freed from sin, to serve God, the child of God has the ability to allow themselves to be reattached to some degree, but not by automatic demand and not by you are, you are enslaved without choice, but we would actually choose. Why would you, if you are free, choose to be a servant to sin again? Why would you want to live underneath? That's what Paul's trying to get across. Why, if you've been free and you're, no, you're supposed to be dead to it, why are you want to go back to this and live underneath the, the discouragement and live under, by the way, a lost person who doesn't know Christ and doesn't care to know Christ can do anything they want to do and they feel no guilt about it. Let the child of God who knows Christ as their savior seek to do that which would displease their savior 
And if someone truly knows Christ as their Savior and they are a child of God, when they seek to do that which they should not do, even if they try to put a good clean and good fun and good all that kind of face on, they're miserable. And even if they appear to be having fun, there are times when I wish I could see within somebody's life that is trying to make everything appear to be hunky-dory and great as I... They know what's right. They have a testimony of receiving Christ. They've turned their back on it, and now they're doing whatever they want to, and or at least seemingly whatever they want to, or they're, they're, they're sliding back in things that used to be old life and old habit stuff, and they're trying to put a good, fun face on it like I'm doing just fine. There are times when I really wish I could look in and, and see if there is guilt covering the inside of that hard shell. Living with guilt. Living with the pressure. Living with the the nonstop having to make myself appear happy. Because I've seen it several times. And by the way, the facade that gets put on will crack. But this is not dealing with, and Paul is not in any way trying to say that those which receive Christ and those which are a new creature in Christ, those which have an old man that is done away with, and now we are servants to righteousness and servants unto Christ, why would we want to continue in sin? He's not saying that you can't sin. What he's saying is, why would you want to? But he goes in, 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 in here. I haven't gotten very far, have I? Look at verse number eight. It says, Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Now, we're going to, those two verses there. Um, are, are dealing with some physical death in those aspects. Then verse 10 and 11 kind of switch to a, a spiritual uh, in, in some ways. Now, let, um, let, well, let's just read it. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive Unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, here in, in, in these verses from 8, 8 to 14, we're dealing with the lost dominion of sin and of death. Uh, the, the control over an individual because of what Christ did in conquering these things. Uh, in verse 8 and 9, we see that death's power is taken away. Now, in the physical aspect of death's power, uh, he's saying, and this is encouragement for the child of God. You see better over in, in 1 Thessalonians and all uh, more talking about it. But um, here in verse number 8, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we uh, shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. And so this is a, a, an automatic looking towards the hope that we have, eternal life, that death 
has no control and has no, no power to place the, the fear on the child of God because, I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, was it John R. Rice? Um, I think it was John R. Rice uh, that um, had a man come up to him uh, and uh, while he was walking down the street, I think I said this before, but he's walking down the street and, and a man came to him and, and uh, I think he pulled out a knife and, said, and threatened him and said, give me your wallet or I'm going to kill you. And he just turned around and looked at him and said, son, you can't threaten me with heaven. It shook the kid up so much, he dropped the knife and ran away. But here's the thing. And that, but that, that is the thing, you know, a lost individual is going to fear for their life. I can't lose my life. A saved individual, you know, for the most part, when you think it, when you, when you come down to a point where there's nothing you can do about it, your life's about to be over for the child of God, there is something better beyond this life. Therefore, if I have no choice, but God has chosen that it's my time to go, so be it. Here I come, Lord. For a lost person, this is all they got. What are they going to get after this? They don't know. Some believe they get reincarnated. Some believe nothing, ever, nothing happens. You're over, game over, you know. Um, but for the child of God, there's... As a whole, now, do we want to go in the next load? Not really. Most of us are okay with, you know, waiting for a few other trains to pass before we get on board. But the idea of perishing from this life is not just, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Honestly, the idea of being taken out of here, if it's God's choice to, to take me out, here I come. It, it shouldn't be something that, that bothers the child of God. I mean, I understand. There, there's always some things that we want to do, especially when you're young. You're, they're thinking, oh, no, 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 not yet. But, um, but I, I remember having those thoughts. No, Lord. No, 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 no. I got some big monumental things I want to see accomplished before marriage was one of them. Um, there's some big things that I want to see done before um, I'm out of here. But here's the thing. Older I get, the, the, now I'm not looking to end it tomorrow, okay? But I'm just saying the older I get, um, the less enticing staying here is, the more encouraging being taken out becomes. And I don't know if he's going to come for us and take us out of here together or he's going to pull us out one by one, but either way, wouldn't hurt my feelings. But here's, unless, of course, he pulls everybody else one by one and leaves me here, then I'll be hurt, okay? But, um, but as he's looking at this, death, he's saying, hey, because Christ died and raised from the dead, we know that in Christ... Because death has no power over Christ anymore, he's not going to die again. He's going to live forever. He rose from the dead. He has victory over that. We also, in Christ, have victory over that, and therefore it's the encouragement that death's power has been stripped from him, from death itself. But then sin's power and eternal sentence is overruled in verse number 10 and verse number 11, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And what he's saying is, he died once unto sin, that took care of it, that settled it, but he liveth unto God and that's eternal. The living never ends. 
Verse number 11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's saying that reckon yourselves, uh, also yourselves to be dead. He's talking about in this life, while we are here. Reckon yourselves, equate yourselves to the same likeness as Christ. Dead unto sin and alive unto God. Dead forevermore, I, I am not going back. What he's saying is, you got to get your mindset right. We, we, we got to get our focus right. We, we got to get our, our, our desire right. And, and that is dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. When I gave my life to Christ and he gave unto me salvation, and forgiveness because of the repentance and desire that I had to turn from my way, turn from my sin, and turn to him. At that moment, there should be a consistent reminder within me that I am no longer alive to this. It is dead to me, and I am dead to it. Now, Satan loves to bring it up and try to wipe it in front of me and loves to try to bring it around in front of us, and he knows the very things that tempt us in areas that maybe wouldn't tempt somebody else, but it does get us. And he loves swinging those things back around. But here's the thing. When it comes back around, if I'm dead to it, it doesn't pull at me. When it comes back around, if it, if, if it, if it has no meaning for me, if it has no, no desire within me for it, if it's dead to me, even though it comes around, it's like, oh, hey, I remember that. I Oh, yeah, I remember how nasty and ugly that was. I definitely don't want that anymore. Why is it that so many things in our life, so many things of the world, let's put it that way, why is it that so many things of the world, for every single one of us, so many things have such a magnetism for us? Now think about it. Something pops up, something that, that you know, we hadn't really thought of much. We haven't considered much in a long time. But all of a sudden, here it comes, right through. And all of a sudden, we're like, "Oh, I feel the tug." <laughs> why? Why is that? Well, the only way something can tug at you is because it's not dead. Something something can pull at us because it's not dead to us. There's still a cord somewhere connected that hasn't been severed. Does that mean that we don't have salvation? No. It just means that we're fighting this flesh and we're not allowing Christ to help us sever the ties to the old man. It can creep up in a heartbeat. Uh, let's look at this last part and we'll be finished. Verse number 12 goes into the need that we have to have within us because Christ died unto sin, and he lives uh, unto, unto God. We also should reckon ourselves to, to in, indeed be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. We, we can't do it in, you know, hey, Bobby Decker can, yeah, Bobby Decker can defeat this sin, can defeat this, this pool, can def, defeat all of these, these things you know, tugging at me. No, I can't, actually. Uh, I'll fall for it every single time, but... Through Christ, I have the ability to say it's dead to me. 
through Christ, um, it's kind of like uh, I, um, Ryan and I have been talking about it. There's some vines growing over here on the fence. I hate those vines. And I think something blew over into our, um, the, the sign area right there because it's starting to grow with vines like crazy. I'm going to go rip every bit of it out and just do bare dirt. But these vines take root, and we were talking about it. We, we sprayed it and sprayed it and sprayed it and sprayed it. The grass everywhere dies, and the vine just keeps fighting, keeps fighting, keeps fighting. And uh, I was telling Uriah, I said, the only way I've gotten rid of them before, when it's tried to take over, I could spray it all I want, and it does need to be sprayed. But I had to have a little bit of assistance by a little thing called uh, clippers. And I had to go over and literally go along the bottom of the fence and find every point where the, where the little arms are reaching down in and, and, and connecting into the ground. And I had to snip every single one of those, then spray everything real good and try to kill it off. But the vine just wasn't going to die. Just no matter how much, you'd have a leaf here die or a section here die or a section there die, and the whole thing just keeps growing until you cut it off. And that's honestly what, what Christ, as I walk with him, as, as, as I get into the word of God, as I get into my lifeline for taking care of that which I cannot take care of myself, Christ gives me the ability to go and snip some cords, snip some of those connections on that which I thought was dead. And next thing you know, I'll come back around like, where did that pop up from? And Christ comes through and says, let me show you an area that we need to uh, do a little pruning and snipping to get rid of it. Through myself, I can't, be, I can't be dead to the power of sin as I ought to be. It is only through Christ that I can be dead to it and it dead to me. Verse number 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. And, and the Bible talks about the lusts Sin, when it is finished, when it is completed, when it does all that it's going to do, bringeth forth death. And, and the Bible talks about the lusts, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And these lusts that come up, these things that control the aspects of our desires in the flesh. Bible says, let not sin therefore reign. This is a warning for the guarding the throne of the heart and life. As a child of God, why is it important to guard the throne? Because the child of God, I'm not immune from sin. I've not been inoculated no and no longer I can just walk through and have, you know, hey, hey, ain't no sin on me. Ain't no, I mean, I'm sorry. That kind of a shot is about as, as effective as a COVID shot. I did it, all right? I said it. But here's the thing. Or the flu shot. How many people got the flu shot and still get the flu? But here's the thing. You, you say, well, I've been an, I, I, I'm inoculated from, I don't have to worry about sin because I'm dead to it. Yep, yeah, not in the flesh you aren't, but through Christ you can be. 
And I don't have to let sin reign. It's always present in this life. It's always accounted for and actively trying to work. But the, the, the key here is don't let it reign. Don't let it sit on the throne. Don't let it take priority and be the first thing we go to as, okay, what would I like to do today? What do I want to happen? What do I, with this I, that I, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why is it declared their mortal body? Because once we're out of this life, you don't have to worry about that anymore. What God does in us, once we are removed from this mortal body, once we're removed from this mortal shell, when God places on us a finality of completion, there'll be no more issue with sin. And oh, dear Lord, hasten that day. But in this mortal body, I have to make sure that I guard the throne of my heart and the throne of my life. And the only one that can help me guard that throne against sin and it be dead to me and me dead to it is Christ Jesus our Lord. But in this area, there's only one, there's one more piece in verse 13 and 14. It deals with sin's dominion that is conquered by grace. It says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now, this is not, again, verse 14 is not, as many misuse it to say, it's not saying that the issue of sin has been annihilated in your mortal life. No, it says sin shall not have dominion over you, but what is it equated to? For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What it means is law declares that man is helpless. The law declares that man is hopeless. The law declares that there's nothing man can do and nothing that man can can accomplish to fix the fact that they are slaves to sin. The law, by its, its declaration of teaching us who we are and how we fail, the law condemns and tells us you're hopeless, you're helpless, you can't do anything for yourself You're a servant to sin, you're a slave to sin, and you're just stuck because man is incapable of doing that which would be needed to be righteous. But that's the law. When Christ died on the cross, now entered the opportunity of where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. The grace of God that can far outreach the condemnation of the law. The law tells us we're doomed. No hope in and of ourselves. But grace is the, 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 the revealing of hope through one other than ourselves and the giving of hope from one who cares for us more than we could ever care for ourselves. 
And he says, you're, you're not bound to sin. Sin doesn't, doesn't have dominion over and, and doesn't rule over you because the law says you... Got to go back over here. This is where sin was. All right, the, I'm going to get y'all confused and I keep going back and forth. All right, the law says that you're condemned under sin. The law says you can't do anything to get out of it. You would never be able to be perfect enough to be released and free from the guilt and punishment of sin. But you're not under that anymore. That's a schoolmaster. That's a teacher. That lets you know who you are. And before Christ died on the cross, there was nothing but that. But now, there's a flip side to this coin that has now been revealed. And You, if you have chosen Christ, you're no longer just under the condemnation of reality. You are now under the freedom of forgiveness through grace. So as a child of God, Paul is teaching, he's saying, you don't have to say, well, I just just can't help it. I just can't seem to get free. I'm just stuck with this. I know know I'm saved, but I just can't seem to ever break free from, from the wrongdoings I do. You're living underneath the condemnation. You're living underneath the power of sin without realizing if you're trying to get free, evidently you've been doing it in and of yourself. That's why you're depressed. And that's why you're defeated. And that's why you think it'll never happen. I can never get free from this because you've been trying to do it for you and by you. He says, the law tells you you can't accomplish it. So yeah, you're just trying to do the impossible that's never gonna happen because you can't do the impossible. But I know one who can. And he shed his blood. He died on the cross. And if you're a child of God, you know Christ is your savior. He is your savior. He has forgiven you. And through him, sin doesn't have to have dominion. Sin does not have to sit on the throne. Sin does not have to have all the power. Sin does not have to be just constantly hovering over and pressuring you and pushing you down with guilt and shame. This sin, now listen, if we sin, though I, as a child of God, if I do that which just pleases him, there should be guilt and shame. But if I choose to live in that guilt and shame and not be free from it, that's my choice, which as a child of God would be ridiculous. I had other words in my mind, I'm not gonna say them because it'd be very offensive. But it'd be ridiculous. It'd be insane. I have the choice and the ability to be free free from the guilt and shame and live in righteousness and live in holiness through Christ. Does it mean I'm going to be free from the battle? No. It just means I have the ability and the promise I can be victorious in the battle every single day. Sin's dominion has been conquered By the grace of God. And since God, since Christ himself, through death, conquered sin and death and the grave, then if I'm in Christ, I have the potential in him and through him to be a conqueror over the sin that tempts me every day, death that wants to put fear 
and the grave that nobody wants to deal with, all those things can be cut free. They have no hold. Unless, of course, I allow them to reattach in different areas of my life by resisting what God wants to do in me. Doesn't mean I lose my salvation, but that is where my fellowship and that is where, that is where my ability to, to live unashamed before God. It's where my ability um, to stand before him boldly and come before his throne boldly, all that gets stripped away when I have shame hanging over me as a child of God. I must remain clean before him. Not to, to secure or ensure my salvation, but to secure and ensure my fellowship and walk and service for God. Don't yield your members to unrighteousness, but yield to God and his righteousness. That is a daily choice. Yielding is a daily thing we have to do. It is constantly, as Paul said, I die daily. I must push myself down and let Christ be exalted. And if Christ is exalted and self is pushed down and pushed away, humbled, then Christ can help me remain free from the tug, from the pull, from the temptation and the guilt and shame that comes along with it as a child of God. I, I, I personally just choose to be free of it. Now, I, you say, preacher, you, you got it down perfect? Nope. <laughs> uh, you failed? Yep. Do you have bad days where you just want to go and say, Lord, just, just, uh, mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, honestly, more, more than I would want to admit. This flesh is just as real for me as it is for anybody. And it's a daily fight. And don't forget, your enemy knows what catches your attention fastest. The adversary is not stupid. He is wise and mischievous. And he'll use every unfair method he can to get you and I to trip and stumble, not because he thinks he can take away that which we've been given in salvation, but he could possibly use our life to help somebody else or keep somebody else from ever turning to Christ. He wants to use us in a negative sense, if he can. Don't let sin reign. Let Christ reign in this life for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we...